When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review that epic win over the Jaguars on Monday Night Football. We're going to go over some headlines, some observations from the game. We're going to talk about Jake Browning, and then we're going to preview the upcoming Bengals-Colts game. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. What did we just witness? I mean, we wanted to stay optimistic, but in all reality, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle. And then we have Jake Browning taking control of his own destiny and saying, I'm not just going to be an afterthought. I'm not just going to be a lifetime backup in this league. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to perform. I'm going to make a name for myself. And I'm going to carry this team to where it needs to go. And although it's still going to be a long road from here, no matter what, we had an excellent experience on Monday night, and it was really fun and enjoyable to watch. And there is some hope now for the rest of the season. All right, so the Bengals are 6-6 six and six with five games to go, one game out of the wild card, and we play all three wild card teams that are ahead of us right now. We play the Colts, we play the Browns, and we play the Steelers. And in all reality, none of those teams are impressive. I know they have good defenses. The Colts have a great offensive line. We'll talk about them later. But they're all doing exactly what we're doing. They're playing with a backup quarterback. So let's just take it one game at a time and then get into the dance. And once you get in that dance, anything can happen. All right, so Jake Browning, Offensive Player of the Week in his second start. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, after the Steelers game, and that is a great, confusing defense, and that's his first start, but I was thinking, you know, is this guy going to be able to put up 17 points a game even? And he just comes out, and he performs very Joe Burrow-esque. I mean, he had the confidence in himself, and, you know, you want to believe in him, and you want to root for him as a Bengals fan, but there is that doubt of, you know, he hasn't done anything in this league yet, and now we have some hope. We have a great roster. You know, we have a great defense. I don't care about the numbers, and they let up points here and there, but there's a lot of good players on that defense. Our skill positions are stacked. The offensive line isn't playing badly. We have great special teams. It was all a matter of getting someone who can get in there and score points and distribute the ball around at the quarterback position, make plays in big moments. Jake Browning in this game did all of the above. So we'll see where we go from here. No matter what, it was a season where it didn't go our way. None of us were happy. We were expecting the worst-case scenario as the season went on, and we had a glimmer of hope. We had an electric performance on Monday Night Football in front of the whole nation, and now we're all saying, you know what, we're not out of this yet. We do have a chance for the playoffs, and if this guy Browning plays like this, we have a chance to really do some damage going forward. And he listened to what I said. I told you, you control your destiny. You're in the arena. You have a chance. It's up to you to take it and run with it. And you ran with it, my friend. Keep running. 
fame will come to you, riches will come to you, success will come to you, and you're going to make us all happy. You made me happy now. You can hear it in my voice. There's hope now. We're not done the first week of December. We have a shot at, at rolling this thing out and going into the playoffs and, like I said, whatever comes from there. But Jake Browning, you did exactly what I called for and not a lot of people can do. You know how it is in life. All the will in the world doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get what you want. You can want it so badly. You can try so hard. And maybe you're just not good enough or things don't roll your way or you don't get the breaks or someone else is better. You know, it happens to all of us in our lives. You know, how many of us wanted to become professional athletes? And no matter how much work we put into it, that dream eventually died. Well, with Jake Browning, it did not die. He had the power and the skill to turn it around and say, I'm not a career backup practice squad player. I'm going to be a starter in the NFL and I'm going to be a professional quarterback for the rest of my career. And think about it. We were battling Jake Browning versus Trevor Simeon to see who was going to be the backup. Simeon was out there for the Jets, and I was betting against the Jets, so it was nice to see him play so badly. But, I mean, he couldn't even complete a pass. Every time he flipped the ball downfield, it was like, oh, this isn't good. He was way off target. He was nervous. He was one-dimensional. He wasn't reading things. And, you know, you figured, well, he was the veteran. Maybe we should have kept him, and, you know, this Browning guy is so unproven. You know, Vikings practice squad player. And in all reality, we made the right decision because Trevor Simeon could not have done what Jake Browning did out there. Even if it's a one-hit wonder, you saw a lot of flashes there. And I'm going to go into Browning's game in a little bit. And it wasn't just luck. There were a lot of very high-quality throws. And we'll talk about that in just a few. So Cam Taylor Britt goes on the IR with an ankle injury. First it was the quad, and then I heard during the week in practice he injured his ankle. I don't know if we're going to see him again this season. And he had a great rookie season, and he had a great season this year. He's a player that's totally on the up and is going to be ascending. And I'm just hoping that he heals up, maybe in time for the playoffs this year. Yes, I said playoffs. Or definitely for next year, because this guy has a great career in front of him. We're relying on him to be a cornerstone of this defense for a long time to come. So heal up Cam Taylor Britt, whatever you need to do, however much time you need, we're here for you. And when you come back, welcome back, my friend. And I don't know if you guys saw on Instagram, there was a photo side-by-side side of Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson. And it was Burrow at the Bengals game, and it was Watson at the Browns game. And you see Burrow, you know, just dressed in normal clothes with, with his arm all in a cast you know, diligently rooting for his team and offering advice and not looking for the spotlight. He, you could see he was just blending in, just being one of the guys, helping any way that he could. And that's our quarterback. That's a quality human being. And then you have Deshaun Watson with that story hanging over him of all the apparently very bad things that he did. And he's sitting there in sunglasses, acting like a rock star in, in a, a luxury box, not even on the field with his teammates. Just a bad look, a bad guy. And Cleveland, I don't know what you were thinking. You gave this guy guaranteed money, and he's showing absolutely no leadership skills. His on-the-field skills are diminishing, and he's, quite honestly, he's a jerk. All right, one more thing before we get into the game specifically. Why do the refs on the field view the replays? We saw it near the end of this game. They were reviewing the play. It was taking a really long time, and there's the ref on the field you know, with the lights and the players and the distractions, someone holding a monitor in front of them, fans screaming, knowing the TV cameras are on them. It's just not the right environment for someone to be looking at a replay and making a huge decision in a game. They should just have everything go up to the booth or New York or wherever they're doing it and have, here's my recommendation, no more refs on the field doing replay. It goes to the booth and in the booth, you have a three-man committee. You have three people looking at it, and they vote. When you have three people, there's no ties. You're going to have two yeses and a no, or three and zero. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's going to be a majority either way. I think that's the way they should do it. I don't understand why we're doing it this way. There's a lot of things in the NFL that I would change. These clock rules are crazy. They wind the clock all the time. I mean, I want, I'm going to talk about this in the offseason a little bit more, but I want these games to last a long time. I'll watch a five-hour Bengal game. Maybe some people don't have the attention span for that, but when I'm in it, I never want it to end. And then you see the guys go out of bounds, and they, they deem that, well, his progress was stopped, and they wind the clock. I don't know if it's a new thing or I just haven't been paying attention, but they wind the clock on, on penalties. 
they wind the clock when you go out of bounds after five seconds until it's like the last five minutes of the half and just everything. The only thing that really stops the clock is an incompletion. And then when they get inside of five minutes, various things stop the clock. But I just don't like it. It's just these refs are so into winding their arm and just draining away this game that I've been waiting all week for. I don't know. Just analyze it the next time you watch a game. And if you're with me and, and you could just sit there all afternoon watching a Bengal game, you know, you would know what I'm talking about. All right, so that was a good what really grinds my gears session about the NFL and their rules and the officiating. But contrary to that, for someone who wants a really long game, we got an overtime game on Monday Night Football. Give me five quarters of Bengals football. It was thrilling. The game was like three and a half plus hours. There were five ties in the game, the most in an NFL game this season. Just everything that you want. There was excitement. There was high scoring, there was lead changes constantly, there were big plays, and the Bengals came out on top. Just one of the most fun Bengal games to watch all year. If you were in attendance down there in Jacksonville, it was worth the price of admission. For all the rest of us watching it on TV, it was a great Monday night and a great time. And this is the thing about the NFL, you just can't tell. And I bet on a lot of games, and I'm sure a lot of you do too, you can't read anything. Like in this case... The Jaguars came in with the number four rushing defense in the NFL, and the Bengals came in with the 31st rushing offense. So if you're the diligent better or just a fan that wants to get into the minutiae of the game and, and pay attention to the stats and analyze things, I mean, the Bengals shouldn't have been able to run on this team. One of the best run defenses in the league against a run offense that was struggling. And what do we do? We, we blast out 130-plus yards and have one of our best rushing games of the season. So you just never know what's going to happen. And that's a word to be careful when you bet or just be careful with stats. As I always say, I'm, I'm not a stat guy. I say it every episode. Stats annoy me, and this is not the sport for stats. I thought the officiating was good. They weren't flag happy. There were a couple big decisions that they made that affected the game, but it wasn't like the typical game. It wasn't like a Ron Torbert game. So I like that crew. The head referee, I forget his name. His name is escaping me, but he's one of the ones that I like. I don't know. It's just some of them, when you see him on the screen calling a penalty, you want to hit him. (laughs) Forgive me for that. But in this case, this guy, there's something likable about him. And I think his crew did a good job with making intelligent calls and showing restraint when they needed to show restraint and leading us to an entertaining game. Not like the Cowboy game from last week where there was like 20-some-odd penalties. Every pass play, you're just waiting to see that yellow icon on the bottom right. And, you know, that, that was a horrible game. And these officials did not subject us to that. And the Bengals have to start pushing the running backs from the back. Every other team does it. You know, the brotherly shove on quarterback sneaks. But even with running backs, when a running back is stood up, you see the offensive lineman just plowing into the back of him. And there were a few instances in this game where I was like, come on, Mixon is is stood up, but his motion is still going. Get behind him and push him. And I'm seeing offensive linemen just watching watching the barbecue there. So I don't know, guys, if, if you're hearing me, please get on that. I, I, I hate that rule anyway. I hate the, the whole scrum thing that's coming to the NFL over the last few years. But while it's legal, we should be taking advantage of it. And this game, I feel that we didn't. Bengals 8 for 14 on third down this game. That's a key to winning games. We held down their rushing game. Speaking of you know top rushers, bottom rushers, ETN had 45 yards. So that's a good effort by this run defense and the Bengals defense in general. We got to solve this tight end issue because the tight ends for every team are lighting us up. We saw it with Schultz. We see it with Andrews on a regular basis. Kittle had a huge day. We have Kelsey coming up. You know, there's a lot of tight ends in this league that are really helping their teams to victory. And we have Evan Ingram with a 9 for 82 day, 82 yards for that guy. So that's something that we need to figure out. The last couple years, I thought we did well with containing tight ends, and this year it just hasn't carried over. Something to think about, Coach Anarumo. You know I'm behind you, but that's just one glaring thing that I'm seeing. And then big plays at the beginning of games. It's, it's been a few games in a row where, even this game, I was like, first drive, I was like, watch, this is going to be like a 20-yard pass. And certainly it was on a, on a busted coverage. And then the two wide receiver passes this game, I know they were both a disaster. You know, the first one where Chase kind of slipped and he threw the ball back to Browning. And then the second one with the Tyler Boyd, not seeing Josh Allen or trying to get it over him. I don't know what happened there. 
And I'm glad we won this game because I know some of the haters would have tried to run Boyd out of this town, you know, accusing him of losing two games for us. But I'm not buying into all that. Even if this game went south on this, I wasn't going to hold it against him. It's just I don't think the coaching staff needed to do it. And I understand coming into this game thinking that Browning's not going to be as effective as he was and saying, all right, let's let's pull some tricks out for this. But the way that he was throwing, you didn't need to do that. And that's stuff that should have just stayed on the on the chalkboard and stayed on the wristband and not been not been tried out in this game because both of them backfired badly. But, you know, you can't go out there and say Coach Taylor called a bad game. You know, everyone, it's just such the easy thing to do is to get on the play calling. The play calling was good enough to win this game. The play calling was good enough to highlight Jake Browning's attributes and not expose him to his weaknesses. So you have to think about that. Yeah, those two play calls were boneheaded and they didn't need to be done. But for the most part, the play calling, like I said, was enough to beat an 8-3 and three team. So what happened this game? We started off with an abundance of wide receiver screens and short passes. And I've read two things. One is that it was called that way and two was that Browning was checking down into that I'm not sure what the case was but it led to him being like eight for his first eight you know we weren't really moving the ball but he was at least getting a feel for the game so whether it was intentional or whether they were adjustments I think it set the tone for his confidence to be able to start going downfield later in the game another coaching decision fourth and three from midfield on the opening drive we went for it and that's dangerous. You're playing an offense that's pretty good. You're in their stadium. We didn't know how our offense was going to respond. I, I thought in that case, and I always love it when we go for it on fourth down. So whenever they make a decision to go for it, the fan in me is excited. The practical me is like, is that the right thing to do? And in this case, I really didn't think it was the right thing to do on kind of a long fourth down from midfield against a pretty hot offense. So I would have punted in that situation, and ultimately we didn't, and ultimately it led to a 7 nothing deficit. But our defense held up after the missed field goal by McPherson. We kept it at 7-0. And then the third drive for the Bengals, the training wheels came off of Jake Browning. He starts throwing the ball downfield. And it all started with that 17-yard pass to Chase down the right sideline. That technically was a little bit behind him and high, but Chase does what Chase does and makes an excellent catch on it. And it just sets the tone for Browning and for the team to say, hey, we're not going to be checking down and running the ball all day. We're going to take our, our shots downfield. We have the receivers to do it. Their secondary isn't incredible anyway. And sure enough, the floodgates opened right after that. So then we go down 14-7. Never lose hope. We answer back in the second quarter. There was like 5.45 left. We have this time-consuming drive. And we end up scoring a touchdown. Now it's 14-14. Mixon just driving his way into the end zone. Second half begins at 14-14. We do what we do. We stop them right out of the locker room. So Coach Anarumo made his adjustments at halftime. We stop them on their first drive. And then we get the ball. Run a handoff to Mixon. We have a pass down the middle. And then we have the Jamar Chase touchdown. And when Jamar Chase catches a go route for a touchdown, it electrifies this team, it electrifies the fans, it electrifies the Bengals. And that's exactly what happened. And I almost feel that everything in the first half was trying to set that up. I even said it. I was like, you know, Chase keeps doing these screens and turnarounds. They're going to wait until they're up on them and they and they make a mistake with double coverage on the back end, and they're just going to send Chase. That's exactly what they did. Browning dropped that in perfectly, and no one's catching Jamar. And like I said, when I, whenever you see Jamar Chase on the outside, one-on-one, -on -one, man coverage, you get I, at least me, I get excited like, oh, big things are going to happen. And 74 yards later, big things happened, and momentum was totally ours. So what happens, the Jags drive downfield to answer our momentum swing, and they get lucky. I mean, it was a great play by their receiver, but Dax Hill had the interception. It slipped through his hands, and their receiver shows excellent awareness and excellent concentration and the ability to stay in bounds, and now they go up 21-14. That would have been huge, intercepting them in the end zone, getting the ball back just after we had the big chase play. But, of course, that did not happen. I don't know if Anarumo's going to get on Hill for that, but, I mean, he was in the right place. You know, those DBs don't have the same kind of hands as wide receivers, but that looked like a layup interception. But I'm not getting on Dax Hill. I like the season that he's having. 
I have no problem with his performance and no problem with his play. You know, everyone gets a, a bit of a lucky break or a lucky bounce, and the Jaguars took advantage of that. But now with the game 21-21 and the momentum now swung back to the Jaguars, things get really out of hand. We had the Tyler Boyd interception, one of the ugliest plays of the year, maybe of the decade. And at that point, as Bengal fans, we were like, yeah, I kind of knew it wouldn't last, right? I mean, I always have optimism, but when that happened, I was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. So we go down 28-21, and here comes the fourth quarter. We drive down the field, but we don't get anywhere. We punt, and it was a great punt for Brad Robbins, one of his best of the year. He puts them inside the 10-yard line. It totally swings field position. And although he's had an up-and-down year, there have been some big moments where I felt that he had some very good punts. So if that's going to be his M.O. and he's going to punt his best when it most matters, I can't complain about that. I just want to see him be a little more consistent. But this punt in particular swung field position and led us to get the ball around midfield. And we have that 50-yard or so drive. Browning does the sneak at the end of it, 28-28. Then we get the Lawrence injury on a huge play by Trey Hendrickson, a game-changing sack because they looked like they were going to score. That pushes them back. That knocks out their best player. It kills the stadium's momentum and vibe. It kills the Jaguars' vibe. And what happens? They miss a 48-yard field goal. It's just, I was a weird one because it looked good and it just kept sailing and sailing right. So we get the ball back. Time is now running out. We drive. We're getting down there in field goal range, possibly more. And then we have the two really crazy false starts by Browning. I had never seen that where a quarterback kind of loses his balance. And you could blame that on inexperience. I don't think he's ever going to do that again. But we had basically two in a row and then a sack and now that pushes McPherson back to have to kick a 54-yarder. He's in Florida. That's his home state. It's good weather. But, man, anybody kicking a 54-yarder, you know, is, is nerve-wracking. Justin Tucker, Evan McPherson, those are the guys that you trust more than anybody. But still, it's not a gimme. And McPherson is just ice. He just nails it. 31-28 Bengals looking like we're going to win the game. Bethard comes in, fumbles right away, looking like he can't move the offense. They make a couple big plays. They get into field goal range. 31-31 into overtime. The Bengals choose tails. I always choose tails. But we lose the toss on tails. Kind of fortunate that Lawrence wasn't in there. Kind of fortunate that Kirk wasn't in there. I wouldn't have liked to have the Jaguars have the ball first with Lawrence there based on the way he was moving it. You know, that could have been a lot worse than what actually happened. So now we had Beathard in there, and as Bengal fans, we're like, you know what? We can hold this guy to a field goal or better. And what do they do? They drive down to, ultimately, it was a first and 10 at our 48-yard line. And then what happens? Mike Hilton does what Mike Hilton does. He gets in the opponent's backfield. He has a huge tackle for a loss. He reads the run perfectly. It's a four-yard loss. Next play, they have this Hail Mary caught at the three-yard line, and you're like, oh, man, game over. I can't believe it went like this. But no. Hubbard draws the holding call. Kind of a borderline one, but, I mean, he did get spun around and kind of held up high, and that knocks them out of field goal range. So they punt to us. And we had a few big plays on this drive. We had that juggle catch by Chase, which could have been an easy catch, but, you know, he lost concentration for a moment, juggles it around, manages to reel it in. We have that big throw on the great route by Higgins doing a long out on the left side. Browning finds him. We have the, the catch and the stiff arm by Chase. If you guys remember, that was an exciting moment where he just nails the, the would-be tackler. And then we have a third and one. Mixon, there's nowhere to go. Everything's bottled up, and he just wills his way for a first down. So those were some of the big plays on that last drive. Evan McPherson, 48-yarder. Same thing. I mean, you should make that as an NFL kicker. But it's not a gimme. And he puts it right through. He thought he missed it. We all saw that he didn't. And he's a hero once again. The Bengals go on to win a huge game and give the fans hope and a real treat and a real dose of heavy, heavy-duty entertainment. All right, so each game I like to give five reasons why we either won or we lost. And in this case, we won. So here are my five reasons. One, Jake Browning playing like Joe Burrow. Watch the film. I'm going to go over Browning's throws in just a minute, and you're not going to believe how many good ones there are. Two, 
no turnovers. Massive for any winning effort. Three, the run game got going. So even though Browning was lighting it up, we were able to have some time of possession with Mixon carrying the ball and Chase Brown, and we weren't one-dimensional. They weren't just locking in on Browning. He didn't have to win it by himself, but he almost basically did. But the run game is a big factor in any win. Number four, Evan McPherson. Just clutch field goals. 50 yarders are no problem. I mean, you know, remember the Randy Bullock days or even in the older days when guys weren't just landing 50s like they were nothing? You know, there were times where we wouldn't even want to go for a 54 yarder or it would be a miracle. And now it's like, oh, 58 yards. All right, give it a go. Man, I'll try him from 60. So Evan McPherson's ability to be calm in big moments and perform in big moments and win games is another huge reason why we won this game. And the fifth reason, I'm going to say coaching. Now, you could say the defense made big stops at big times, but in reality, I thought it was coaching. I thought that we used Browning to the maximum effectiveness that he could play at. I think that the team was motivated and unified even when things were down. You know, down 7 nothing to a Jags team when the week before we could barely put the ball in the end zone. So the coaching kept this team unified and motivated. And in addition to calling the right schemes and plays, they had the players not ever get down and never lose hope. So coaching is the fifth reason why we won this game. All right, so let's talk about Jake Burrow. I I mean, Jake Browning. 86% completion percentage. 354 yards, no turnovers, just a monster day. He wins AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Some adjectives that I thought of while I was thinking about what I was going to say during the show. Accuracy, calmness, no panic in big moments or against big rushes, not afraid to get hit. Intelligence, good reads, good decisions, getting the ball out quick, poise in the fourth quarter and overtime. You know, it's easy, well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier to shine in the first couple quarters, but then when you have these drives that have to be successful and you can't have any negative plays, he showed poise and performed when we needed it in the fourth quarter to eventually tie and win the game, and in overtime to ultimately win the game. He finds eight different receivers, so he's spreading the ball around, not just locking on one, even though Chase had 11 catches, 12 targets. And he was passing to the left effectively, especially on outs. So some guys have a hard time throwing left, so that shrinks the field. Now the defense knows, well, you know, he's either going to try to throw down the middle into traffic, and an inexperienced quarterback is going to be hesitant, so they're thinking, now he's just going to be dumping it off, or his passes downfield are going to be going to the right. And Browning was nailing that out to the left. That's one of the hardest throws in football, in my opinion, where you have to throw to the opposite side of the field on an out. That's that's a long throw. You know, that adds, I don't, I don't know the, the math of it, but I'm sure that adds another 10 yards or so to the throw based on the angle. And he was passing left very effectively. A couple to Boyd, the big one to Higgins on the last drive in overtime. And again, what I just said, not afraid to throw over the middle. An inexperienced quarterback, the game is moving too fast. There's too many bodies in there. There's safeties and linebackers and multiple levels of the defense. You know, it's kind of easier to either dump it or throw to the outside. Less, less bodies there. And he was going right down the middle of the field on several occasions, which we'll talk about in just a second. I thought he had good timing on the screen passes. That's an art in itself, you know, holding it just long enough, but not too long. On his first drive, to be honest, based on the performance against the Steelers, I thought he was telegraphing a lot of his passes. Like, he was like, all right, I'm throwing the chase on this. And when the ball was snapped, he didn't even look at anybody else. And that was happening a few times, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if this guy's going to cut it if he's just locking in on one receiver and just zeroing in with his eyes. And he totally got away from that as the game went on. That was just in the very beginning, and then that didn't seem to be a problem later, and obviously it wasn't with the kind of day that he had and the completion percentage that he had. And he had more than a few Burrow-like throws. So let's break down some of his specific throws, and honestly, there's a lot of them. So first, throwing on the move. Early in the game, that pass to Irwin. You know, he's going to the right, and he just leads Irwin perfectly. He makes it where you just can't drop it. Gives Irwin enough momentum to go ahead for a big 25-yard gain. He had a bootleg throw to Chase in a crucial fourth-quarter drive. Same kind of thing, you know, rolling out. And again, it's so hard to throw accurately on the move like that. And then he had another one to the right with Sample where he threw it over the first level and in front of the second level. That was near the end zone on the right side of the field. 
another great throw on the move, and those are also my favorite kind of throws, and I've done them as a quarterback where you get it over that first level but in front of the safeties. It's so gratifying when you can fit it in there. And, you know, when you're looking at it, it looks like don't make that throw. But if you can get the right trajectory and just have enough on it, it is such a gratifying thing to complete a pass like that. Then he has the in route to Hudson on that tight window on the first touchdown drive. You have to zip it in there, and he did. And then Hudson did the rest with the run after the catch. He did that play action so, you know, on a play action, you have your back turned, and now you're looking forward. You know, it's like you, you're blind for a second there, and he zips in this slant to Higgins right down the middle in traffic, a beautiful throw, really like a Burrow-esque throw more than almost any other. And then he had the poise on that floater to Wilcox. So now he's backing up in the pocket. He has two guys coming at him unblocked. He knows he's going to get hit. And he, instead of panicking or, or rushing the throw, he waits just long enough and floats it out there where Wilcox could just grab it on the move and run for a nice gain. Very good poise on that throw, and again, great angle on that throw. And then throws to the far left on the on the out. We talked about the Higgins one. He had a nice out to Boyd right before the half to set up that touchdown, and then again to Boyd to set up that late fourth quarter field goal. And that is one of my favorite formations. I've talked about it before. We have trips to one side, you know, three wide receivers. And the two outside guys kind of clear, and the inside guy doesn't out. So whoever's covering the inside guy, if if they don't if they're in man and that guy's going to try to follow him, you get lost. The defensive back gets lost in traffic, so that's pretty much a wide open throw. If the defense passes it off properly, then you have to think about throwing it to your other two receivers. In this case, it worked like a charm. Two guys clear. Boyd does the out. Little congestion. Boyd is wide open, and then a huge throw to the left sideline. Just an amazing throw. There, there were so many throws in this game like that. And then the big pass to Chase, the 74-yarder, it was great recognition. Not only was the throw right on target and led Chase and gave him the momentum to just scream down the field, you saw before the play the safeties were having a little bit of confusion. Browning saw that and saw that they weren't the safety in the middle of the field didn't get over to the middle enough, and that left Chase in, in kind of a quasi-one-on-one situation. And when that happens, you got to get number one, the go ball. You got to get number one, the nine ball, right? The in route to Chase late in the game, where Chase juggled the catch in overtime, it was on target, a little bit high, but he got it over the linebacker. Another thing, kind of over that first level, in front of the second level, Chase did the rest with that. Maybe some guys would have made that throw a little bit more accurately, but it was still a very good throw to get it between the layers of the defense. And like I said before, the last drive of overtime where he gets Higgins, who runs a beautiful route on the left sideline, on and out. And then he adds a 21-yard scramble on that go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter. He got a nice block by Sample, but I mean, he was on the right side of the field, and he ends up all the way on the left side of the field. So he covered a lot of ground, showed some vision, showed some field awareness, and got a huge gain at the right time. And yours truly bet the rushing over. It was 12 and a half, and it wasn't looking good. And there he was, 21 yards. So let's talk about the offense. And call me a homer, but who's better than Jamar Chase? I know you're probably saying names right now. Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams. I don't know about that one anymore, but I don't know. I, I just love Chase's game. And, you know, Tyreek is putting up massive numbers, and he's one of the biggest threats in the NFL. I'm not going to take that away. But Chase has such a dimensional game, and he's such a game-changer. And he showed that it wasn't just Burrow that he could do that with. I mean, he had a, a, a magical, huge game with Jake Browning throwing to him. And what does Chase say after the 74-yarder, after the game, where he does the turnaround, kind of like a wise guy move? I wasn't crazy about it in the moment. But he showed awareness, and it shows that he's not a jerk. But he, he said, and I quote, I just wanted to be a jerk. I just felt like being an evil person in the game. That's transparent. That's honest. How can you hate on that? I know it was an uncharacteristically uncool move by him, but he totally owned it. So, Jamar, you ride with me, and you are certainly not a jerk. 11 catches, 149 yards, gets on top of 1,000 yards yet again. This guy, you keep this pace up, Mr. Chase, and you're going to be in Canton along with Joe Burrow. Adjectives I thought of to describe Jamar Chase's performance and game in general. Good concentration. Great routes. 
excellent speed, sometimes a little deceptive because of his frame. You don't realize he's as fast as he is. Yards after catch, toughness. You know, when he was getting those screens, he knew he was going to be getting hit by safeties, linebackers, DBs, and just had no issue. Always gets up. Looks like he hurt the guy tackling him more than he's hurt. He had the stiff arm on the one play and big plays and big moments. And that's what he's done his whole career, and that's what he did this game as well, multiple times. 74-yarder, probably the play of the game. The juggling catch in overtime. The 17-yarder in the second quarter that kind of started everything. The low grab in overtime after he had the drop. Only drop in a a while, I believe. He made a great move across field, took it down to the three-yard line. Just, again, great concentration, great hands, great field awareness. Higgins' three catches doesn't look big on the stat sheet, but he had two important catches of those three, and just his presence out there changes everything. You know, he's a threat out there. He makes the big play when you need it. Teams have to really be focused on him almost as much as Chase. So regardless of the numbers, and I told you who cares about the numbers, Higgins contributed heavily to this win just by his presence. Joe Mixon, so good. Such a good player. I mean, he took a pay cut to stay here, which you have to respect. And and he's playing like a guy that didn't deserve to take a pay cut. He's like ageless. You know, that 27-year-old running back. I don't know. I think he's 26, 27 or so. They say you hit the wall, and he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Effort never stops. Toughness, just like Chase, even more so. Ball security. At the end of the game, I was like, man, they're going to be hacking at that ball. He's never been a fumbler, but it was, you know, that's tough. Try running a ball up the middle with those incredible athletes all pawing at it and slapping at it and punching at it. That takes a lot of skill and a lot of strength, and and he does that every carry. Ball security is huge with him. Two touchdowns. His receiving abilities continue to shine. Six catches, 49 yards. On to Chase Brown, his first significant action, and he showed us a lot. Good moves, speed, tough running, that huge 31-yarder, which flipped field position. I was very happy with his performance, and it gives us a more of a one-two punch than we thought we had. I hope he stays healthy, and I love when you get those gems and those late bloomers that take a surge in the second half of the season, and we might have that here. We might have this weapon that's now going to electrify things and just be another huge asset to this offense. So I'm hoping that this is the beginning of big things for Chase Brown as well. Tight ends, Tanner Hudson, the team got the memo. Tanner Hudson got the start. He had a nice big catch and run in the second quarter. Sample had a couple huge blocks. He had one on the chase touchdown, the long one. He had one on that Browning scramble that I just talked about. He had a nice catch and run himself. Wilcox had that nice catch and run that we talked about. You know what? Everybody performed at tight end and had big plays except Irv Smith. And he's just been an underachiever at the position. But with guys like Hudson and... You know, Sample's showing up. We got on him in his career because he's not a pass catcher, but his blocking is is starting to become what we drafted him for. I mean, like I said, two huge blocks in this game that I noticed, and probably a bunch more than that, and there were times where they left him in the backfield alone with Browning rather than having a running back back there, and, you know, he just kind of felt better when he was back there. Offensive line, they let up two sacks and three hits. That's a big game. Orlando Brown had the big block on that Chase Brown long run. There were big holes in the run game for the most part. I like the fact that they're using Cody Ford more as an extra blocker. And in this case, they brought him in, and then they do a bootleg to the other side. So they used him for deception purposes as well. But I like when you go deep into your roster and give guys a role like that. Okay, defensively, Reeder and Hill were great as usual. Reeder had a bunch of pressures. Hill just showed brute strength and stopped the scrum on that third and one. It was a key first drive of the second half where you needed to get a stop. And you see all the time what I was complaining about earlier. The running back is still moving and the offensive linemen just get behind him and push the pile forward. And Hill was like, there was a bunch of Bengals in there, but Hill just seemed to be single-handedly holding back the scrum. And I speculate that he is the strongest Bengal, and I'm sure the staff can tell me otherwise if I'm wrong, but he, he appears to be that on the field. And this was a great indicator of that. He made a huge play, and he's been playing huge all season long. Hendrickson, I think he was credited with five pressures or so. He had the big sack late in the game. I think he did a little more damage when they benched the little, but it doesn't matter. You know, he played big down the stretch, and that's what we need him to do. He's continuing his Pro Bowl season as well. 
And it was weird that the Jags were mad at Little. All he did was get pushed back. I know he stepped on Lawrence, but he didn't do it on purpose. It wasn't overly clumsy. He was, you know, he was fighting for his life against Hendrickson. And, you know, he got pushed back. And it was just a, a freak placement of bodies and timing. And you saw, I, I think when Lawrence slammed his helmet, he said something to Little, like, almost blaming him. Maybe I'm wrong. That's what it, it appeared to be to me. If that's the case, shame on you, Lawrence. Don't ever do that to your teammates. That's not good leadership and not a cool thing to do for a guy who's fighting every down for you. But if he didn't do that, my apologies there. But then they benched him after that. Was it because of the one sack? Like I said, Hendrickson wasn't lighting him up prior to then. And then he steps on Lawrence and they pull him out of the game. You know what? I'm a Bengals fan. That's a Jaguars fan's problem. Osai finally on the board. He got a nice coverage hustle sack, so hopefully he can continue some of that momentum. Jermaine Pratt is on the verge of a Pro Bowl all over the field with 12 tackles. Logan Wilson, same. both of those guys are just amazing in there. Eight tackles for Wilson, a forced fumble. He's had a little bit of trouble in coverage as of late, but I'm not worried about him. He's one of the best linebackers in football, and that tandem is just electrifying in there. They're so productive and so dangerous to offenses. One of my favorite new Bengals, DJ Turner, had those two hard hits in space. One of them on a running back that saved a big play. He had a great recovery with using his speed and a pass breakup of a go route in the fourth quarter. I know he let up some passes, but I, I have no problem with DJ Turner's game. And he continues to shine, flash, and impress. And I just can't wait to have him for the long run with Cam Taylor Britt and Dax Hill and Battle. And hopefully they keep Hilton around. Man, that's a good secondary. So on to Jordan Battle. I'm happy with him as a starter, so don't get what I'm going to say wrong. Another game where he had, I, th I think, eight tackles, so he's been constantly productive. You can see the light is really going on for him. He had a big stop on a third and three to force a field goal at the end of the game, so he's making big plays. The only thing with this game is he was largely responsible for the Jaguars' first two touchdowns. So on the first one where they ran the sweep to the outside and it was wide open... He just got over a little bit late. Like, I think Hubbard lost contain, and I think Awuzie got blocked, but Battle just didn't read it quickly enough, and it led to a walk-in touchdown. So it's more than one guy who's at fault in a situation like that, but if I had to point the finger for the most blame, I would say it would go to him. Some may say Hubbard, but in this case, I would say Battle. On the second one, where there was that confusion on the, on the left side and a whole bunch of bodies in there. He just took the wrong angle. You know, he went behind the play instead of cutting the angle downfield, and he wasn't able to catch Engram on that touchdown. So two that I would kind of give him the fault for, but that is no referendum on how this guy is playing. Special teams, we talked about McPherson, a 54-yarder and a 48-yarder at absolute crucial times. That slowing down of the heartbeat thing that he does is really effective. I'm glad he did it in his home state. And then the 57-yarder, unlike him, he always has plenty of leg on it, and this one, just not enough. Hit the crossbar, but I mean, it was basically dead center and a very near miss. And again, this guy's just living above 50 yards. Anything below it is, feels like a gimme. Anything in the 50s feels like a gimme, too. Robbins had that great punt when we needed it. Our coverage teams have been very solid, not letting up a lot of big returns. And Cal Adamitis, I don't want to jinx it, but he's Clark Harrising it and remaining perfect in his career with snaps, and Robbins as well with holds. And it's hard to do. Try doing that. Go out in the yard with your friends. With three of you, have one guy kicking, have the other two snapping and holding. I know these guys practice it all the time, and they're pros. They've been doing it for years. But that's so hard to do, and so much pressure in a big moment. And really, all the guys in the NFL that do this, I give them credit, because that's just a, a tough situation to be in. Because it's only failure. No one notices when you do well. They're only going to notice the failure. So that's it. We're alive. We are alive when we didn't think we were going to be. We have relevant Bengals football for the next couple weeks. We have some winnable games. We have some divisional games. We can hopefully go up there and blast Mahomes. If Browning continues on this trajectory, a star is born. And just another weapon for the Cincinnati Bengals. What a great time to be alive. What a great time to watch the Cincinnati Bengals. And as Joe Burrow says, it's a great time to be a Bengal. And it's a great time to be a fan of the Bengals. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so let's talk about the Colts and the Colts game. Yes, the 7-5 and five Colts that I probably would have said maybe they'll have five wins this season. So Shane Steichen has that team playing very well. Jim Bob Cooter is a very experienced offensive coordinator, and he's doing the right things there. He knows they're not going to win the game in the air for the most part, so he's creatively blending the run in and relying on the run and relying on that phenomenal offensive line and doing pretty good things, and they're right in the playoff hunt. And Gus Bradley, former head coach, great defensive mind. So the only numbers when I analyze another team that I like to look at for a guy who hates numbers and doesn't believe in them, points per game, they're eighth, scoring 25 a game. Points let up per game, they're 28th letting up 24.7. So they score a lot, they let up a lot. That's basically what that says to me. And if Browning is as hot as he was last game, we're looking at a nice, exciting shootout. None of those 10-6 games, that's that's no fun. Like I said, I'm an offensive guy more than a defensive guy. So with that said, let's take a quick look at their offense. Gardner Minshew, he's a backup quarterback. You know, he, he has his share of electric moments. He makes his share of turnovers and mistakes, too. Not a guy who's going to win the game with his arm, so that's fortunate for us. Zach Moss having an outstanding season, pretty much just as good of a season as Jonathan Taylor, so they have this two-headed monster at running back, and they just keep bringing in another great one each time, so very tough tandem to stop, and this should be the focus of our defense. Wide receivers, they have a couple guys playing decently, like Josh Downs, he's out of the slot playing okay. Michael Pittman is a big threat. He had a good week last week. And they also use Alec Pierce. They use Isaiah McKenzie as a returner and fourth receiver. So it's not like this huge roster of talented wide receivers, but they have a couple guys that can do damage if you don't do your job. Tight ends, they have Granson and Mo Alley-Cox there, two guys that aren't really going to light it up for you. But the strength of this team is this offensive line. Bernard Raymond having a really good year at left tackle. Quentin Nelson, one of the best guards in football, on the pace for Hall of Fame. Ryan Kelly used to be on the Titans, an excellent center. Will Freeze at the other guard having a great year. Brandon Smith having as good of a year as anyone at the right tackle position. So they have five guys across that can do damage in the run game. And that's why you see a Gardner Minshew having success. You know, he's not a lighted up kind of quarterback. But any NFL quarterback with any kind of skill, if you're giving him time and you're opening holes in the run game, it's going to lead to success. And that's exactly what these guys do. So very quickly, three keys to stopping their offense. Don't let their offensive line control the game. We have Reeder and Hill and Hendrickson and Hubbard and Pratt and Wilson. You know, that's a pretty strong lineup of six guys. And although their offensive line has got to be one of the best in the league, I don't, I, don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're such a good offensive line. We have some very talented defensive players opposing them. So it can't be one-dimensional where we're just getting pushed around all day. So we're going to have to really have our great players hold up to their great players. And if you can even kind of get a stalemate up front, that's going to be enough to win this game. Second key is to pressure Minshew because he's going to make mistakes. And if you can't get to him, then bait him into bad throws. Confusing looks, confusing pre-snap adjustments. Are you sending five? Are you sending four? Are you sending six? Is it single high? Is it double high? Is it man? Is it zone? You know, just... Try to confuse him as much as you can, and we have the coach to do that with Coach Anarumo. So we get Minshew to lose the turnover battle. Another recipe for victory in this game. And lastly, let's load the box and trust our defensive backs. I have faith in all these guys. I forgot to mention Awuzie had a great week this week too. You know, you have Turner, Hilton, Battle, Hill, all playing very well. I don't mind single coverage on these receivers. Well, let's load up the box and really focus on stopping that two-headed monster at running back. You know, again, I always say the Belichick theory of stopping their best weapon, and their best weapon is Moss slash Taylor. Load up the box, stop those guys, and you have a very good shot at winning this game.
So their defense kind of mirrors the offense, where the skill guys aren't as good as the guys in the trenches. So you have Samson Abukan, who's having a good year at defensive end. DeForest Buckner is one of the top DTs in the league. Quiddy Pay has really improved his game. Their nose tackle, Taven Bryan's a little bit more vulnerable, so that could help out in our run game. But they bring a decent amount to the table with those three guys up there. Linebackers and secondary, they don't flash as much. Zaire Franklin, EJ Speed, very vulnerable. Ronnie Harrison on running downs, you know, no huge names there, no game breakers there. Secondary, they're kind of juggling things around back there. Jalen Jones on one side, Juju Brents on the other side, both very vulnerable. I mean, Chase and Higgins against those two, I like that. Kenny Moore is doing well in the slot. He's going to be on Boyd, so I'm not sure what kind of game Boyd is going to have, but Boyd has proven that he can beat top-notch slot corners as well. But vulnerability there, without a doubt. Safety, Rodney Thomas, not lighting it up. Julian Blackman, probably the best player in that secondary. But if you see what I'm saying, they have they have some pretty good guys up front and not a lot behind them. So, you know, this is a this is a game where we can do some damage offensively, and this is why they're 28th in the league at letting points up. All right, so keys to the game. Keep the Browning momentum going. Whatever you did this game, give them the same formula, but be careful now because there's more tape on them out there. So you can't just do exactly what you did this game because the Colts are going to be on to it and they're going to read tendencies. So you have to mix it up a little bit, but I like the way that we're playing to Browning's strengths. And again, get him out there chucking the ball right away. Keep the confidence and the momentum up. So I think that's huge. Keep the Browning train rolling. Number two, exploit what I deem a fairly weak back seven. We just talked about it. The linebackers, safeties, corners. Our guys are better than their guys. So don't be afraid to go downfield on these guys. And I think we're going to have good results there. And lastly, I don't know if I should make a song out of this, but Chase Higgins Mixon. Chase Higgins Mixon. Chase Higgins Mixon. Chase and Higgins against those corners. Mixon against those linebackers. Prediction. 27-26 Bengals. I predict that we're going to score a bunch. I predict that their run game, no matter how much we try, is going to make its its way. You know, they're good for a turnover on defense here and there. So I'm just going to say it's going to be a tight one, but the Bengals are going to outscore the Colts. We're going to go to 7-6. They're going to go to 7-6. And and the ascent up the ladder continues. That'll do it for this episode. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.